Well, good morning again. I couldn't help it uh, the whole time we were singing. Of course, I, I missed the uh, worship band. Um, every time they're gone, it's always a, 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 a hole. But, uh, you know, but the reason to worship the Lord was so much better today. Uh, it's always a great thing to see somebody come to Christ and, uh, you know, to just genuinely just get saved. <laughs> what a blessing that was this morning. I was just so, uh, so excited about that. So, Greg, are we ready? All right, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to draw your attention this morning to verses 12 through 14. And of course, Paul the Apostle writing to the Philippian church, he says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hmm. The Philippian church uh, had a great respect for Paul. And in reality, it was so much more than that. It was, uh, they just had a great, great love for Paul. They loved him. They had a love relationship. They just really appreciated all that he did for them in helping to establish them and then, of course, encouraging them and, uh, to grow in the Lord. And because they loved him, they cared great, greatly about his incarceration. And those of you who are just now following with us, uh, you know, by radio or whatever, uh, you know, Paul was, he was in jail when he wrote this. And so it was a very bad situation for him. Wasn't in a good situation. So they were concerned about it. And this is really the context of why Paul wrote this particular letter. Uh, I told you when we started Philippians, it's not like any other epistle that he wrote, uh, in that most of Paul's epistles were written to churches in correction or, or encouragement and something. This is just like a friend to a friend. You know, uh, like you would write to a loved one is, is really what he's doing here. And so that's really the context of it. He wanted to encourage them in the things of the Lord. But he also wanted them to know that he was right where God wanted him to be. Wow. So often, when we find ourselves in adverse situations, those who are looking from the outside can sometimes come to the false conclusion that something strange has befallen us. Something's wrong, you know. What's going on with those guys, you know? Their life's falling apart. Everything bad's happening to them. You ever seen people who look like a trouble magnet? Have you? I've seen them. You know, it just looks like anything bad just like sticks to them, you know? Just, it's drawing right to them. And sometimes you can come to that conclusion falsely. Paul, on the other hand, was wanting to assure the Philippians that regardless of his outward circumstances, 
He was actually doing exactly what God had called him to do. Hmm. Because he was doing what God had called him to do, he was right where God wanted him to be. Now, I'll throw this in for free. One of the most frequent questions I probably get asked, and, and, and I'm saying over the last 40 years that I've been in ministry, is how do, I, how do I do the will of God? How do I know I'm doing the will of God? And there's a very simple answer for this. I was a chemist, as you know, um, for years. I have no idea what that was. And I was an analyst. I, I analyzed stuff, you know. I did both medical and environmental work. And we had this little test. And most, most people who have done any type of minor chemistry knows what I'm going to say. We have this, what they call a litmus test. A little piece of paper, you dip it in water, it tells you whatever. I have a litmus test for you to know whether you're doing the will of God or not. Do you really want to know? Do you want to know? That's a question. And if you want to know, it's pretty simple. Do you want to do what God wants you to do? Yes. Okay, let me qualify that. Here's what I didn't say. Do you want to do something for God and have him stamp his okay on it? That's not what I said. What I said was, do you want to do what God wants you to do? And if your answer is unequivocally yes, then guess what? You're doing it. It's pretty simple. But Doug, I'm incarcerated. I don't care. But Doug, I have cancer. I don't care. But Doug, my kids are off doing crazy stuff. They're rioting in the streets. I don't care. What I said was, do you want to do what God wants you to do? You said yes. Well, then you're doing it. If you really meant it. And this is why Paul says what he does, even though he's incarcerated, even though his life from the outside is, we're going to see. Whew, didn't look good. Now, we're living in an age where some teachers, falsely, I believe, and that are more prevalent today, more than ever, those who teach that every believer, every Christian doesn't get sick. They don't have problems. You know, if you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, you're never going to see a trouble. You're never going to have any problems. Really, they're just ignorant of the Word of God, I believe. They're ignorant of the ways of God and of His nature. Paul told the Philippians, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Once again, he was reassuring them that though he was in bonds, though he was chained to a guard 24-7 at that time, he was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He even called himself a bond servant, a slave to the Lord. Now, when you study the book of Acts, and you find that Paul was involved in three missionary journeys, basically. And depending upon who you read, what commentary you might like, some would say and argue even four. Some would argue five because he supposedly went to Spain and then, of course, he went to Rome and they would count that one. But I would contend that Paul actually... When you think about it, when you give it some thought, 
only engaged in one missionary journey. It started after his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and ended in the culmination of the countless thousands of people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and the innumerable churches since then that have come into being because of him. Yet, as he said in many of his letters, he was called to be an apostle, but he also referred to himself as a minister of the gospel as a bondservant of Christ, as I said. And as such, his life uh, in the present world was not necessarily all fun and games, as some people think it is. You know, when people come to Christ, as I watched this morning, a fellow, he said, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old, Doug. And I said, how old are you? He says, well, I'm going to be 54. <laughs> I said, brother, you're a kid, man. I love this. I said, do you know that Moses was 80 years old before God called him to deliver the children of Israel? He said, I didn't know that. I said, Joshua was 85 before he went to war to overtake the, the promised land. So if you're old, you're ready. <laughs> I love watching people come to Christ. I really do. He'd sat in church all his life. Sorry. It uh, genuinely breaks my heart think that somebody could sit in church all their life and never hear the gospel. We're all called to preach the gospel. All of us are called to that. The Great Commission. Jesus said, go preach the gospel. Make disciples. You know, what a privilege it is. What a joy it is to see somebody come to Christ But even in that, as we do that, our lives are not necessarily going to be hunky-dory just because we're doing what God has called us to do. Paul said, those things that happened unto me, they really happened to further the gospel. Paul started on a missionary journey after that experience he had on Damascus Road. In fact, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in his second epistle, talking about the things that had befallen him up to that point, here's what Paul wrote in a little more detail. He says, Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes except one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. 
Besides those things that happen to me from the outside, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Wow. So not only did Paul suffer physically during his ministry, I mean, in this list, he doesn't even mention the time that he got sick and was in Asia Minor for months. He doesn't even mention that. But he also had the burden of caring for the churches, all the ones that he had established. I always thought every time I read that, I think it's too bad he hadn't read, you know, your best life now. could have saved him a lot of heartache. But I would, you should understand, brethren, Paul said, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Some people look at the outside of it. They say, oh, man, look at the tragedy in his life. Man, he must have sin in his life. Maybe it's just a negative thing. Maybe God's making a mistake. Oh, poor Paul. Maybe he's just not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Paul said, no, no, no. Rather, it's actually for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, even when Paul was systematically pointing out through what we read there in Corinthians, all the things that had happened to him, things that most people looking at the outward would say, no, thank you. I'll pass on that, Pastor Doug. If you're calling me to that, if you're saying that's what my life's going to look like, I think I'll pass on that. Some would say that. Paul said all these things that happened to him were only in order to further the gospel. How could he say that? How could Paul look at the turmoil in his life, at the tragedies of his life, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, how could he look at that and say that these things were all just for the furtherance of the gospel? One is because his life journey, his life mission, in reality was a mission journey. I mean, from the very beginning, really, not even from the time that he really came to Christ on the Damascus Road. In reality, it was from the beginning of his life period. He was born. You see, Paul was the one who would write according as he hath chosen us in him that's in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You've been chosen since before the foundation of the world. Paul was chosen. You've been chosen if you're in Christ. This morning when I was talking to our now brother in the Lord, you know, the question comes up, how do I know that I'm chosen? I said, you care. You care. Because you care, you know. His spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, those God chooses he, he, and calls, they care. And that's why they listen to the gospel. When they hear the word of God, it reacts with their heart. And they come to the Lord. Thus, if you're in Christ, you've been chosen for a missionary journey. And you were chosen, as I said, from the foundation of the world when you came to Christ. Not when you were called to Christ, but from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning, before you were ever born. God knew. We must never forget that we are called to preach the gospel and to live the gospel. 
That's what our calling is. That's what our mission is in this life. Every day, that's our calling. Now, granted, within the body of Christ, we might have little callings. Mine is the pastor. I'm a mouthpiece. I'm a preacher. But there's people who do the, the video stuff that, or the sound stuff or, you know, they set up the stuff. They tear down the stuff. We all have things that we do for Christ. But our main calling, each and every one of us, male, female, Jew, Greek, whatever the case may be, Jesus said, if you're in Christ, go preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost to make disciples. Don't just preach, but teach. We're all called to that. Paul said that the things that happened to me happened because God was further in the gospel. Thus, regardless of what happens to me externally, whatever befalls me superficially, I must never let it distract me from that which God has called me to spiritually. Don't let it distract you from your calling. All things really do work together. For those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And my friend, whether you're sitting here or listening by radio, if you are in Christ, then you are called. And all things are working together. All things. All means what? All. It's pretty simple. But the only way that you're going to get this, the only way you're going to understand this fully, the only way is to get your fingers around the sovereignty of God. That's the only way you're going to really understand that. That all things work together. You know, the sovereignty of God, I actually posted it on a little meme on my Facebook page. I really got to quit doing that. Because it just draws a lot of stupidity. I'll say something that's just out of the Bible. And I'll, next thing I know, I got 20,000 people who don't like it. Tough. I said, you know, the problems of our life, sovereignty is the pillow that we lay our head on. I rest in the sovereignty of God. I trust in the sovereignty of God. I depend on the sovereignty of God. I'm relying on it because God is sovereign. There's no happenstance to the believer. None. Zero coincidence. It's all by purpose. Hmm. But knowing the, knowing the sovereignty is important. In fact, the lack of the understanding of the sovereignty of God within the body of Christ has caused many to walk in fear. Okay? When you look at the Apostle Paul's life and you recount all the things that happened to him, all the things that were seemingly negative, even those things that Paul seemed to be, you know, even in those things, Paul seemed to be fearless. I would suggest to you that I guess on the surface he was. He was fearless. Those of you who know history. There's a man by the name of Stonewall Jackson. Now granted, he fought on the wrong side, okay? But let me give you a little story about Stonewall Jackson. That wasn't his name at first. He was just Jackson, General Jackson. And during that particular battle, I believe it was at Antietam, Of course, the Confederates were losing badly. 
But during that battle, Jackson was sitting on his horse in the midst of the fire. And one of his captains looked back because they were, his troops were, they were retreating. They were running. And rallying his troops, he pointed to Jackson and he said, look at Jackson. He's like a stone wall. And he rallied his troops that day. And however you see history, unfortunately, they won the battle. But Jackson became known as a fearless soldier. And regardless of the side that he chose, let me tell you what he said later when they asked him about his fearlessness. He said, I'm not fearless, but I know in whom I have believed. And this part he had right. He said, God has counted the very hairs of my head, and he knows the days of my life. So if God is in control of my life, why should I fear? Well, he's right about that. Why? If God knows, then God is in control. Because why? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. But it's a hard time for people to, 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 to get that, I guess, within the body of Christ. Um, it's, it's a real problem within the body of not grasping the sovereignty of God. Now, you know, Paul looked at his life and he recounted all these things that happened to him and all the things that were seemingly negative, as I said, and, and, and those things which some people would look at and they would think, well, he's fearless. And I believe he was, but not to the point where I think some people think that, well, he must have been a masochist. You know, he just enjoyed pain. No, he didn't enjoy pain. He was a man. It's not why it wasn't it at all. Remember, Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, and here's what he said. He says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You see, it's a joy, the joy of fulfilling the call of God in our lives that causes us to overlook the pain or to look past the pain or the problems. Sometimes pain accomplishes, suffering accomplishes more in my life than anything else, to be honest. Hmm. Today we draw closer to the end. Jesus Christ, the imminent coming of the Lord, in my humble opinion, is very, very close. You know, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another. And that's so much the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know about you, brethren, but I see the day approaching. It's close. And as we draw closer to the coming of Christ, not only is fear gripping the world, but it has now gripped the church. Unfortunately, within the church, many are justifying fear. I want you to listen to me on this. Don't get mad at me. Many are justifying their fear to the point that they're wielding it as a virtue. What I mean by that is that if you're not afraid, if you're just going to trust the Lord, if you're going to walk in faith, 
There are those now, even within the body of Christ, I care not what the world does, my friends. You know that. Those of you who listen to me on radio, been listening to me for years, you know I could care less what the world does. My job is to win them to Christ. Those that God has called, we will preach the gospel. I don't care what the world does, but I do care what goes on in the church. And it's getting to the point where those who see those of us who choose to walk in faith as part of the problem. Now we're looked at as not caring. We're insensitive to our fellow man or whatever the case may be. There's an interesting story about fear in the Bible. I want to read it to you. I think it's pertinent. I think it matters today because I think when it comes to faith, we need to understand how Jesus felt about it. What was Jesus' definition of things? The Lord, of course, we know he was all God. We also know he was all man. And so we're told in the gospel there in Mark that Jesus had been ministering to a multitude. He'd been doing it all day. And I realize he was God, but he was still all man. And when you've been ministering all day, you get fatigued. So he was fatigued. There in chapter 4 of Mark, I'm going to start in verse 35. Here's what happened. And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was. Now I think that's interesting. They took Jesus even as he was. How was he? Exhausted. He was exhausted. And they took him in a ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full, which means it was flowing over with water. Now listen, I was born and raised in Southern California. I don't know whether you've ever been in a ship when it's starting to fill up with water. It's not a pleasant experience, especially when you're way far away from shore. Okay? It's a little frightening. And there arose this great wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full of water. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Master, carest not thou that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why were you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Wow. And they feared exceedingly. Isn't that interesting? He just rebukes them for being fearful, and then they get scared. But I probably would have too, because when they saw that even the wind obeyed his command. You see, it was Jesus himself, is my point, that said to be fearful is to be faithless. Okay? I find it interesting that even after the he questioned the disciples as to why they were afraid. 
and had no faith, they simply became more fearful, as I said. Now, in their defense, this was the time when the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon all flesh. Jesus had not yet been to the cross. These were not necessarily New Testament believers. I know some people look at it and say, no, 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 they weren't. They didn't have what you have if you were a believer in Jesus Christ. You have all that Jesus Christ could give if you were a believer in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh on the day of Pentecost. Your faith that you even have, the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even the faith that we have is a gift from God. He's given us all that we need by virtue of his grace. These boys didn't have that. I like what it says in 1 John. It says, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. Oh, it has torment, my friends. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. See, God is the initiator, isn't he? He always initiates. We just respond to it. I'm so thankful for that. He that fear is not made perfect in love because fear has torment. If that isn't a depiction of the world today, I don't know what is. The world is tormented in the fear that it has right now. The sad part is that it has become a depiction of many professing Christians also. Now I submit to you, I talked with a man this morning who has been sitting in church all of his life. And when I asked him, do you own a Bible? He said, no. He says, I'll be honest with you, Doug, I've never read it. Never read it. This is before he prayed his prayer with me. I said, you'd realize, brother, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you ever question why we do radio ministry, listen to me. This is why as long as the Lord gives me breath and my heart keeps ticking right, I will continue to preach and I will continue to do it on radio. Why? Because he stood in that hallway listening to the word of God. You see, just as all the people who have ever written me said, Doug, I heard you on the radio. It's not me they're listening to. It's not me they're responding to. It's the word of God they respond to. And that's why we do it. Faith cometh by hearing, my friends, and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's what the scripture says. For all those who come to him must believe. You see, faith and belief is the same thing. It's synonymous. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Paul said, but I would have you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hmm. 
In other words, people are watching. They were watching Paul. Now, of course, here it was other believers that were watching him, he said. But what was the result of them watching him? Now, here he is tied to guards. 24-7, he was bound to them. And yet Paul, not, not fearing, because what was coming, he knew. He had to go stand before Caesar Nero. He knew how crazy Nero was. He knew Nero had a vendetta against Christianity. And Paul was a ringleader. He knew it. He knew if I go, he knew that his neck was on the line, you see. But did that stop him? No, he walked in faith. He was walking in faith. He was walking in obedience. So he didn't fear. But what was the result of that? Other Christians saw him doing that. And Paul said, they waxed strong. They became stronger in their, their fear went out the window, right? Because they said, hey, Paul's doing it. Paul's doing it. That's called distant discipling. That's what he was doing. He was discipling from a distance. They saw him and they simply did what he did. They, their fear went out the window. If Paul's not afraid, I'm afraid. Listen to me. I'd like to think that when, you know, if I'd have been one of the disciples in the boat with Jesus, now I realize I probably would have done exactly what they did. But here's what I'd like to hope that I would have done. That boat would have been filled with water. Jesus, it was in the hinder part of the boat, the Bible says. And of course, he was asleep on a pillow. So there was a platform up in the back of the boat where he was probably dry. But he was exhausted. I would like to think that I would have had enough spirituality that I would have been halfway drowning. I would have said, you know what? He's not afraid, and I'm not going to be afraid. He's not shaking. He's not even waking up, and our God does not slumber nor sleep. Amen? And he's not afraid. I remember years ago, I was a young man. I was only like 21. I got myself in a little bit of a legal bind. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and I never forget my attorney told me. I was scared to death. I was sitting and shaking. I was scared to death. He reached out. He put his hand on mine. He said, calm down, son. He said, if I tell you to shake, you better tremble. But until you see me shaking, you don't worry about a thing. And that put me at ease. And I thought, okay. And here I am today. But see, the Lord is the same way. The Bible says, casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because he careth for you. Now the world's going to say, you're wrong. The world's going to say, you don't care. The world's going to say, oh, there's lions in the street. Don't go outside. That's in Proverbs. Of course, he says, the fool says. There's lions in the street. God says, fear not. Do you realize between the Old and the New Testament, there's a portion of 400 years of absolute silence? From the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament, 400 years of silence. We call it, the Jews call it the time of the Maccabees. But silence. And after that 400 years of silence, God broke that silence with two words. Fear not. So listen to me, gang. We're not saying, I'm not certainly not encouraging anybody to be stupid. 
I take the keys out of my car too. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. But do not look on somebody who walks in faith as the enemy. Do not. We are not. But I refuse to kowtow to the world. I will not. I will not. I will stand for the word of God. I believe the word of God. I will walk in faith and I will not fear. As the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. I fear him, not in a dreading way, but in an awesome way, because our God is a consuming fire. Man, I love the Lord. And to watch him change people's lives and their attitude is an amazing privilege that we have as believers. So I want to encourage you, whether you're sitting here, whether you're listening to me by radio, listen, walk in faith, my friends. Understand the time that you live in. I'm going to close with this. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees one day. Of course, this is before, obviously, before his crucifixion. And he told him, he said, you look at the sky and you see, well, it's red sky morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. You can discern the sky, but you cannot discern the time in which you live. Now, what he meant by that? Is there in the book of Genesis, there's an interesting prophecy. And it says that the scepter would not depart from Jacob until the time, or until Shiloh come. Now the word Shiloh in the Hebrew, of course, means the anointed one. We understand it means the Messiah. And so it's a very interesting prophecy. The the historian Josephus, if you know who he is, who wrote about 60 years after Christ, who wrote of the Jewish histories, said that on the day that Rome took over Israel, Jerusalem, posted their signs all through the providence of Israel, that Israel was no longer allowed to make its own laws, that they were no longer allowed to institute law in any way, shape, or form, that Rome was now who they answered to. Josephus writes that the Jews by the thousands ran into the streets of Jerusalem, ripping their clothes, throwing dirt into the air, saying, God has forsaken us. But see, God had not forsaken them. They simply didn't know the word of God. Had they known the scriptures? Oh, they they knew of it, you see. They had heard that portion read before. See, the Jews, unlike Gentiles in their churches, you know, instead of the instead of the, the rabbi. So the people, you know, the people are the ones who stand, especially back then, they would stand for hours and hours and hours, and a rabbi would sit and teach. So they'd heard it. But the scepter simply represented the authority, the sovereignty of Israel as a nation. And once that was removed, then the Messiah would come. 
So what they should have realized was that after Rome had come in and occupied, they should have been looking for the Messiah. Thus, Jesus told them, you can discern the sky, but you cannot discern the time in which you live. My friends, listen to me. We're getting close to the coming of Jesus Christ. And he has given us prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. The biggest one, of course, is Israel becoming a nation again, which happened in 1948. And ever since then, really, we've been living on borrowed time. Well, we see the day approaching. I find it amazing. Read chapter 21 of Luke. Talking about the end times. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth the stress of nations with perplexity. The seas and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Mm, but then they're going to see the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens. He says, when all these things begin to come to pass, lift your head, for your redemption draws nigh. It's getting close. Maranatha. We don't say, whoa. We say, yes. Praise the Lord. Let's blow this popcorn stand and get it over with. You know, I have to tell you, man, I am looking forward to it. So walk in faith, my friends. Do not be fearful. God is still in control. God is still sovereign. And Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll see you next time.